At this time, I invite you to uh, grab the Bible in front of you or your own Bible and open up with us to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. It is on page 758 in your pew Bibles. Acts chapter 2. Le jour de la Pentecôte, ils étaient tous ensemble dans le même lieu. Tout à coup, il vint du ciel un bruit comme celui d'un bain impétueux, et il remplit toute la maison où ils étaient assis. Et se les apparecieron lenguas repartidas comme de fuego, que se asentó sobre cada uno de ellos. Y fueron todos llenos del Espíritu Santo y comenzaron a hablar en otras lenguas como el Espíritu les daba que hablasen. Ora Jerusalem me sorgernavano de Judei, uomini religiosi de ogni nazione que es sotto el cielo. Cuando avene quel suono, lo fola si recolse e fu confusa, perque... Ciascuno li udiva parlare nella propria lingua. Chúng đều sợ hãi và lấy làm lạ mà rằng hết thảy người nói đó, há chẳng phải là người Galilee sao? Vậy thì sao chúng ta nghe ai nấy đều nói tiếng riêng của xứ chúng ta sanh đẻ? Nào người Bạc Thê, Medi, Elamit, kẻ ở tại Mesopotamia, Jude, Cappadoc Bom, Osi. Phrygiassa ja Pamphyliassa, Egyptissä ja Kyreinen puolisen Libyan alueilla, ja täällä oleskelevat roomalaiset, juutalaiset ja käännynnäiset, kreettalaiset ja arabialaiset, me kuulemme kukin, he, kukin heidän puhuvan omalla kielellämme Jumalan suuria tekoja. Ja he olivat kaikki hämmästyksissä, eivätkä tienneet mitä ajatella, ja sanovat toinen toisillensa, Mitä tämä mahtaakaan olla? This is the word of the Lord. Let's try it in English. Thank you, readers. Thank you. <laughs> when the day of Pentecost came, they, being all the believers, were all gathered together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were then filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, in other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were, staying in Jerusalem, some God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? This is the word of the Lord. 
Well, happy birthday, church. Happy birthday. If you are not aware or you're wondering why is everybody wearing red shirts and do they always read in different languages? No. Uh, today is a very special day uh, in the life of the church. Today is the day we call Pentecost. Pentecost. Pentecost is, in essence, the birthday of the church. And so this service is unique. This service is different because this service is, in essence, a birthday party. So again, happy birthday. Happy birthday. And if I could say, I think this is appropriate, you guys look pretty good for being 2,000 years old. Quite good. I mean, you're not 2,000 yet, but let's be honest, at our age, we can round up, right? We're a few years away. Well, what we just read in Acts chapter 2 is the inception or the birth of the church. What we read is that 50 days after Easter, some 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit showed up. The Holy Spirit showed up and he dwelled with the people. He rested on them. And we're told the Holy Spirit then empowered all the believers. In doing so, God fulfilled promises he made hundreds of years before, going back to the prophets and even to the time of Abraham. You could probably even go back into the time of Babel. This is an incredible fulfillment. And so what we do together on this day is we celebrate. We celebrate that on that day when the Holy Spirit came, God birthed his church. And can we admit he did it in quite a dramatic way? I mean, look at what it says. While they were gathered together, a violent wind tore through the house, then followed by flames, little tongues of fire that settled on people, the believers then were all kind of like taken by this, so empowered by the Spirit that they then poured into the streets, drew a crowd, and then they began proclaiming the wonders of God in all the different languages that were present in Jerusalem that day. Talk about a cool birth announcement, right? <laughs> I mean, we watch on YouTube some of these birth announcements, and you're like, oh, that's cute. God's like, I'll oh, one-up that. Boom! Holy Spirit shows up, right? And this must have truly been a crazy event, and this isn't my words. Look at what verse 13 says. Some believers, or excuse me, not believers, some of the crowd who was watching all of this happen thought, these guys are crazy. And they made fun of them because they've got to be drunk. They had too much wine. What's going on? They're like, oh, they just must be sloshed. That's what's going on. So Peter, Peter, we're told, then stands up and he goes, no, they're not wasted. This, what you're seeing unfold before your eyes is the fulfillment of God's promises. The fulfillment God made to Abraham and to the, promise, the prophets. The fulfillment that God was going to choose himself a people and he was going to bless them and that they would then go out and be a blessing to the rest of the world. The specific fulfillment we see in Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, is about the Holy Spirit. Peter makes it clear that the Holy Spirit is now available to all believers. And this is huge, because if you've read the Old Testament, you've probably noticed that the Holy Spirit was not available to all people. The Holy Spirit came to the select few, the occasional king, the prophets, and sometimes a priest. 
It was very rare, but God promised one day he would send his, his spirit and it would dwell in the hearts of all the believers. And so Peter makes it clear, they're not drunk. The Holy Spirit is here. God has fulfilled his promise and all who trust in God, specifically all who trust in Jesus Christ as their king and as their savior will receive the Holy Spirit. We're then told that after hearing this message, after hearing this message, the believers, excuse me, the Jews who were present, because remember, all these people that were hearing this were Jews. They grew up with these prophecies. They knew the promises of God, and now they're seeing it unfolded before their very eyes. And they hear this word about Jesus being Lord and Savior, and it says they were struck to the heart. Struck to the heart, and on that day, around 3,000 people put their faith in Christ. 3,000 people on that day turned from trusting in themselves, trusting in their own egos, trusting in their own fleshly ways, and began trusting in Christ. On that day, some 2,000 years ago, 3,000 people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And church, hear this. The world has never been the same since. Isn't that cool? That's what today is all about. That's what Pentecost is all about. But frankly, frankly, that's not just what this holiday is. That's what the church is supposed to be about. The church is supposed to be about people turning and trusting their lives to Jesus Christ, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, and at once being empowered by the Spirit, being released to be a blessing to the world around them. That's what today, that's what the church is all about. And this was part of God's plan from the beginning. Like I said, this goes all the way back to Genesis 12, where you see God make a promise to Abraham when he says, I am choosing you to be a people to myself. I will bless you, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This was God's plan. He has chosen to work through his people. He has chosen to work through you and me to accomplish incredible things in this world of ours, to be a blessing. And when we look back, not just at the New Testament, but when we look back throughout history, we see that that has clearly come true. And you may be wondering, well, why would God choose, why would God choose you and me? Why does God use the church in this way? And if I'm being honest with you, if I was God, I probably wouldn't have used us. We're a little fickle. Right? If I was God, I would, I mean, he's clearly shown he can do some pretty amazing things. I would be like, bam, magical stuff all the time. But that's not how God works. God chose, we're told in 1 Corinthians 12, to use the church because the church is the body of Christ. The church, I love this image, are the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. We are the physical representation of Christ. And so, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. And it makes sense as well. Because it, when we go and do something as the church, when we go in Jesus' name and love someone and care for someone, it is as if Jesus himself is loving and caring for that person. 
right? And so we do Operation Christmas Child. This is just one thing I was thinking of. We do Operation Christmas Child every year. That's the shoebox thing around Christmas time. Those shoebox are given in the name of Jesus. We don't sign our name, right? We don't go, oh, from John Alexanian. No, we sign from Jesus, and that's how it's given. And those kids receive it as a gift from Jesus himself. That's a great thing. But as I said, this, this idea of God relying on us and what we do, what we say and what we do, our actions and how they directly reflect on Jesus, it is a good thing, but it's also like a double-edged sword. It doesn't always work out so well, right? The church is not perfect. The church makes mistakes. When the church does something stupid, we make Jesus look dumb. And as history has shown us, if we look back, the church is not perfect. The church has done stupid things. And the church does stupid things when those in the church, this is the key, when those in the church follow their own egos, their own fleshly desires over following the Spirit. And we see this, just look at history. I mean, think about the Crusades. Think about the way Christians, frankly, perpetuated slavery for hundreds of years. Think about, even more recently, the way we've treated the homosexual community. If we're honest with ourselves, those were not, not in step with the Spirit. We were in clear contradiction to the work of God. And this isn't me just making stuff up, looking in hindsight. No, if you go back to the scriptures, it's very clear what Jesus is about. Right? If you go back to the scriptures, it's very clear that Jesus wanted his followers to love, not hate. Jesus wanted his church to build up, not destroy, not repress. Jesus wanted his followers, very simply, to set free, not take captives, Right? That's what the church is about. And so when we look back and we see the things the church has done that were clearly evil, it is very evident that the church was not following the Spirit, was not following Jesus at those moments. And so if the church was not following the Spirit, they must have been following something else. Well, what were we following? Paul tells us, again, in Romans chapter 8, that if we don't follow the Spirit, we follow the flesh. We follow the flesh. And I like to think of the flesh, some translators put it, our sinful nature. I like it as the ego. The ego, to me, makes some sense because the ego is, and the flesh in Scripture is that me-first attitude. Me-first attitude. The ego is what drives, really, all of our sinful actions, if you think about it. The Crusades. Why did we get into the Crusades? Well, the popes and the kings, frankly, wanted more territory, wanted more power. They wanted to eliminate. That's an ego. That's an ego thing. They didn't do that out of love. Why did we perpetuate slavery for so long? Well, because it was in the rich people's benefit. That, it's the truth. That's an ego thing. It cost a lot to change slavery. That's not following the Spirit. Or even the treatment of homosexuals. Why have we treated homosexuals so poorly over the years? This is kind of the common answer, right? They make us uncomfortable. 
We don't understand it. Therefore, we repress it. That is not following the Spirit. That, it's not. But I can go a little closer to home, maybe for the American church, if I haven't made you uncomfortable yet. A contemporary example of following our egos or following our fleshly desires is seen all the time around the world and around America specifically in worship wars. Worship wars. What I mean by worship wars are those silly things that Christians fight over that nobody else in the world cares about, but we care about, right? Contemporary songs, hymns. Guitars versus the choir versus the organ. What do we do, right? Bible translation. Who cares? But go to the South, they care. Got to have King James Version. You can't have anything but the King James Version. Or what about this? What pastors wear? Am I allowed to wear jeans? Do I need to wear slacks? I mean, uh, what about footwear? Can we talk footwear? I mean, these are the silliest arguments. Denomination. Which denomination is better? Oh, I go to a non-denominational church. Oh, I'm a Baptist. I'm a Lutheran. What? Those are the silliest fights. The silliest fights. And the truth is, when we look at them, that is not us following the Spirit. That's not. Those fights, those silly, meaningless fights are driven solely by our egos, solely driven by our preferences, our comforts, our desires over the work of God in the church. And I want to be clear on this because I think it's really important. I don't want this to be a church bashing thing because I don't believe that comforts or preferences are evil in the least bit. I think comforts and preferences have a place. Absolutely. We all have them. Okay? We all have them. I don't like watching old movies. I just, I don't like it. Okay? That's not evil. It's just a preference. However, out of showing my love for certain people, I will watch an old movie. But when we allow our preferences and our comforts to prevent us from being open to what God is doing, that's the problem. That's the problem. And then lastly, I just want to make sure I say this too, is while, yes, I think our congregation has fought through many of these worship wars, there's no shame in hiding it, okay? We had these worship wars. This service this service is clearly indicative of how our community is willing to move beyond our preferences, our comforts, and is willing to say, God is clearly leading in this direction, so let's go for it. And all of you being here today, being open and willing to allow different languages to be spoken and different things going on that you're like, I don't really love that. That shows your willingness and openness to follow the Spirit. And I just have to say, it makes me very proud to be a member here. It makes me very proud to serve here and very proud to be a pastor here. And so while we still have work, we are making phenomenal progress, church. And I just have to say, I love being a part of this community for that reason. So... Appreciate the space to drink water there. <laughs> so no, the church does not have a spotless record. When we look back, we have at times reflected Jesus poorly. We have, as Paul says, followed the flesh. 
we have messed up. But, but, that is not the case entirely. When we look back through history, when we look back at the things the church has accomplished, when we look back at the times when the church has submitted to the Spirit, has allowed God to speak into our lives and guide us, the church has done some pretty incredible things. Because the Spirit has led us to do some pretty life-changing, incredible things. Let me give you some examples of this. Here's just a few. The church, if you look back from its inception, from the birth, from Pentecost forward, the church has been the single greatest proponent of human rights the world has ever known. The church has been the single greatest proponent of human rights the world has ever known because of its insistence on what the scriptures say, on what the Holy Spirit says, that all people are made in the image of God. We do not believe that certain people are worth more or worth less than anybody else. All people have dignity in the eyes of God, and therefore the church has strived to make sure that all people are treated with the worth they are deserving of. And you see this all the time in the way the church has cared for the poor, the way the church has cared for the needy, cared for the outcast, cared for those on the margins of society. You see this in the way the church has built hospitals, soup kitchens, hospice care facilities. The church has continually strived to be at the forefront of restoring human dignity to all people. That is a work of the Spirit. That is clearly a work of the Spirit because when I said it's after the Spirit's prompting that the church took that lead, no one else did that. Human egos are about me first, not about making sure everyone is brought to the same level. That is a work of the Spirit. But let's keep going, because it's not just the poor who have benefited from the work of the church. It's from its inception, again, the church has been at the forefront of improving the status of women in society. You may not realize this, but this is huge. Tim Keller, in his book, Reasons for God, says, I'm quoting here, it was extremely common in the Greco-Roman world to throw out new female infants to die from exposure. It was common to throw out baby girls because the law, because of the low status of women in that society, women were viewed as contributing very little, therefore you could discard them. The church, however, forbade its members from doing so. The church said no. Baby girls have just as much value as baby boys. All life is precious in God's sight. But more than that, Greco-Roman society also saw no value in an unmarried woman. Saw no value in an unmarried woman. And therefore, it was illegal for a widow to go more than two years without remarrying. Women were often forced into marriages that were clearly not in the woman's benefit. Horrible, horrible things. But Christianity stepped up and said, we're not going to force widows to marry. They supported financially and honored, they were supported financially and honored within the community so that they were not under great pressure to remarry if they didn't want to. 
We can go on about the church's benefit to women in society, and this is very clear. The church from, again, its beginning has lifted up women into places of authority. The church over and over and over and over again has talked about the great benefit women have played in culture, and if you look at our world today, we go, yeah, of course. This is a no-brainer. Of course women are equal to men. Guys, that is not how history is. These stances that the church made were very countercultural at the time. Very countercultural. They were not easy. But now we go, oh, we take that for granted. That was a work of the Spirit. The Spirit continued to move the church to understand that all people were created equal in God's sight. And therefore, the church restored dignity to women. But let's keep going while we're at it. Why not? The church, with its emphasis on making sure that everyone could read the Bible, because that was the place where God made himself most known. The church, with its emphasis on making sure everyone could read the Bible, if you didn't know this, has also been at the forefront of education for centuries. It's been at the forefront of education for centuries. I found this to be fascinating. Of the first 123 colleges in America, all but one were Christian institutions. All but one. And if you go back... You can see that, yes, many of them have lost their Christian identity. But if you go back and read their founding statements, if you go back and read what they were built on and why those colleges were introduced in the first place, it's fascinating. Here's the one from Harvard. Harvard's founding statement says this, Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ which is eternal life. The main purpose of Harvard was to instruct people in who God was and who they were created to be. And this goes for most, um, most institutions throughout Europe and America for the longest time because the church believed that education was vital. And we are reaping huge dividends because of that today. Let's go for another one. Another example of the church's benefit to society is how many of the world's languages were first set to writing by Christian missionaries who, again, wanted to make sure that all people had access to Scripture. Vietnamese was one of those languages that was put down in writing by Christian missionaries. And as you know, without a written script, it's hard to pass on information, but with a written script, generations are able to build upon the prior generations, and that helps societies thrive. All because the church wanted to make sure everybody could read. This is huge, and I could truly go on about the benefit the church has had in the world. I could talk about the influence that the Spirit has had in arts, music, literature, ethics, the care of families, or governmental structures. I could go on and on, but clearly the church has had a profoundly positive influence on the world. Through the church, the world is being immensely blessed. And guys, this is our legacy. We are the church, and that's what we're here to celebrate today. We are the body of Christ. And the amazing thing is the Spirit is not done working the Spirit has not gone, well, now I got them to the year 2016, and they're on their own. No! The Spirit is continually at work, and you see this not only in our communities, but you see this in churches around the area. Our own Good News Ministry, 
Our own Good News Ministry, for instance, and our food pantry is just like the smallest microcosm of what the church is doing all around the world to take care of the poor and the needy. And if you talk to the leaders of the Good News Ministry, they will clearly tell you that was not something that they prompted themselves, but that was a moving of the Spirit in their hearts. But let's go further. There are people in our community who continually take in people into their own homes, people who are down on their luck, bring them into their lives, uh, give up their space, often give up their money to help feed and to support and that kind of stuff to make sure that certain people can get back on their feet. That is a work of the Spirit. There are marriages that are continually on the brink of divorce or are in the wake of an affair that have been restored. That is an act of the Spirit. We see people throughout history who have continually been attacked and instead of seeking retribution, instead of retaliating, have sought forgiveness. That is a work of the Spirit. There are people who at continual risk to their own selves, their own comfort, their own finances, have sought the betterment of others. That is a work of the Spirit. There is a reason, church, that we know the names of people like Francis of Assisi, William Wilberforce, Florence Nightingale, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Mother Teresa, and Desmond Tutu, all are men and women who following the Lord's leading, who in submitting to the Spirit's work in their own life and in the world, typically at great cost to themselves, were used to accomplish incredible things for the poor and marginalized in the world. These men and women followed the Spirit. But as we have seen, Following the Spirit is not easy. Often following the Spirit is very countercultural and takes us to places we would rarely volunteer to go on our own. But if you want to figure out, how do I know if I'm following the Spirit and how do I know if I'm following the flesh? Because I don't want to commit the same atrocities, frankly. I don't want to go down that road again. So how do we do this? I was thinking about this for a while. I think one of the best ways to indicate are we following the flesh or are we following the spirit is this. The flesh is constantly seeking itself first. What do I get out of this? How do I benefit from doing this? And we see the flesh flare up a lot of times even in our like philanthropic things, right? Well, why am I going to go and care for another person? I feel good at the end of the day. You know, there's nothing wrong with benefiting and feeling good from serving, I mean, that's part of the way God wired us. But if your motivation is solely to feel good, we're probably not following the Spirit on that one. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with going through that action, at least, because at least it's a thing that you know the Spirit's about, and maybe He'll change your heart. But the way we know we're following the Spirit, the way we can trust that we're following what God is doing is this. The Spirit constantly seeks to put God and others first. All throughout Scripture, if you look at the commandments or you look at what the church is supposed to do, when you look at the times the church has thrived in human history, it has been when the church has not thought of itself first, but has thought about how do I honor God? How does this bring glory to God? Or how does another person benefit from this? That's a very simple way of trying to discern, am I following the Spirit or am I following the flesh? 
It's a good question that we constantly need to ask ourselves, church, especially on this day of all days, Pentecost. Because following the Spirit is not easy. But as we have seen, when the church follows the Spirit, the church being led by the Spirit, has been involved in one of the greatest things ever. God has blessed the world so richly through the efforts of the church, but only when the church has followed the Spirit. Only when the church is being blessed and poured in by God is the church able to go out and bless the world in ways the world could never fathom. And so today, I think it's appropriate As we celebrate Pentecost, as we celebrate the giving of the Spirit and the birth of the church, brothers and sisters, I invite you to receive the same message Peter preached 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. Hear this. Christ is risen. Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. And all who believe in him will receive the Holy Spirit, will be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and will then be released to be a blessing to the world around them. We need to confess, though. We need to turn today from our egos, turn from our fleshly ways, and yield again to him. We need to again submit our lives to Christ, admit I have selfish ways. I have human tendencies. I am driven by my ego. And we need to truly allow Christ to be Lord and Savior of our lives. And in doing so, God promises that he will send his spirit. And his spirit will lead us to all truth and lead us to the life we were created for, a life of hope, a life of love, a life of purpose, which is seen in blessing those around us. So brothers and sisters, on this day, The day of Pentecost, let us, as Peter said, repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are truly in awe and humbled by the work of your Spirit. Lord, as we are reminded of your work throughout history, throughout the church, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, it boggles our minds that you would use people like us. But Lord, at the same time, we are so humbled. Humbled to be your people. Humbled to serve in your kingdom. Humbled to give you honor and glory and praise. Today, Father, we confess, though, In the spirit of Pentecost, we confess that we have often followed our flesh. We have allowed our egos to drive us rather than submitting to your spirit, rather than submitting to your son Christ. Father, we pray that today, Lord, on this day of Pentecost, Lord, that we would truly repent. Lord, that we would turn our lives back to you. Lord, in doing so, we pray that as we trust in you, you would send your Holy Spirit Send your Holy Spirit to cleanse us, to purify us, to empower us, to go out and be the blessing you intended us to be to the nations. Lord, on this day, on this day of Pentecost, we are so mindful of how you are working not just here at Grace Lutheran Church, not just here in Huntington Beach, but how you are working across the world. And we're so grateful for the different languages that are being represented today because they remind us of our brothers and sisters all over the world who are worshiping you, who are lifting your name high. God, I pray that today, on this day of Pentecost, that this would be a day of renewal, 
A day, Lord, when the church is continually submitted to you and out of that being empowered solely by you would seek to bring you ultimate glory, authority, and power in this world through the way we care for others, through the way we love, and in doing so that those people would come to know you as we know you, as our Lord and as our Savior. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and pray as we turn to this time of offerings that you would receive our offerings with a glad heart. In Jesus' name, amen.